Thanks for leading us, team. Awesome. Well, welcome back to our continuing series this summer through the Lord's Prayer. We've been in this summer school of prayer now all summer, and uh, it's great because, uh, you know, summer's hit and miss, right? We're traveling, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere. And so what we've been doing is we've been encouraging everyone to, to continue to say the Lord's Prayer, whether you're, whether you're in Kelowna, Vancouver, the United States, the East Coast, Scotland, wherever you are, to be praying the Lord's Prayer and learning from Jesus together. And so then when we catch up, maybe we catch up online as some of us are doing, or maybe we catch a service here and there, we can travel together through this teaching of Jesus. It's been great. It's quite an opportunity to learn to pray from Jesus. When you think about it, Jesus, who has this perfect relationship with his Father, this relationship of intimacy, this relationship of knowledge, this relationship of total and complete trust, he invites us to come into that. He says to us, you can come and be part of this conversation too. You can come and enjoy this relationship with my Father the way that I do. And so he, he brings us into the conversation and he teaches us how to pray, how to talk to the Father, how to have a conversation with the one who loves us. It's amazing. And I know that it's been a, a journey for, for many of us this summer as we're learning to pray from Jesus. Well, today we come to this little phrase, lead us not into temptation. Temptation is a tricky little word, isn't it? It's, a, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing, I, I was thinking, how could I capture this as we begin today? And I, I think this little clip that we can watch next just kind of captures what it's like for some of us to deal with temptation. Let's, let's, let's watch it, Olin. Koira pysähtyy, mutta tulee perille. Istu. Ja selkeästi Esmo saa heti vainun siitä, että hänellä on henkimaskaraa. Hieno iski. Tänne! Tule, 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 tule! Upeasti Esme menee koko houkutusten highwayn. Ei epäröi. Okay, so which dog are you? Exactly. And, and doesn't it feel like sometimes that everyone else is like those first dogs? But you're like that retriever, and as the owner of a retriever, I feel deeply that poor girl. Here's the question. 
When you think of temptation, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? And I don't want you to say it out loud. Because while we love you, we may not want to hear the first thing that comes to your mind. So when you hear the word temptation, what is, I want you just to think about it, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe it's a heaping mound of dessert. Maybe it's the second helping you know you shouldn't have. Maybe it's a pile of chocolate. Maybe it's having yet another beer when you know you shouldn't. Or scoring some kokanee green off of that friendly neighbor who seems so relaxed. Maybe it's acting out on a sexual fantasy. What's temptation for you? Is it sharing that juicy bit of gossip? You know that relevant information that you've just received that you just have to tell someone. Maybe because it strokes your ego. Maybe because it feeds into a view you already have of these people. Maybe you just are the kind of person that is just so tempted to share that information. Perhaps temptation for you is you find it difficult when, um, you know, that arrogant coworker who's always bragging uh, that their way is the best way when they finally fail, you really are tempted to rub that failure in their face. Maybe that's what temptation looks like for you. Or perhaps you struggle with the daily temptation of just putting on that plastic smile, faking it for everyone to hide over the hurt that you're experiencing or, or what's going on in your family life. And no one really knows because you... Give in to that temptation to always cover up, to always make it look as though everything's okay. Maybe temptation for you is more subtle than that. Maybe temptation for you is, is just making that selfish choice to do what you want when you know you should do something that will serve someone else. Maybe the selfish choice to do what you want when you've already committed to help someone else or to do something else. Or maybe you've already promised yourself that you wouldn't do that or you would do this. Maybe that's what temptation looks like for you. How about this one? This is a big one. How about the temptation to look down on others who don't live as well as you do? You know know what I mean? They don't have the right political view, maybe. Maybe they don't raise the kids the way you think they should. Maybe they don't have the right lifestyle. And so in your heart, you judge them. And maybe you you back all that up with uh, pious-sounding language. Maybe even back it up with scripture. But in your heart, you're looking down on other people. Maybe that's temptation for you. Is your greatest temptation something that's hidden from view? Maybe it's known only by you. What does temptation look like in your life? You know, one person's temptation can seem, can seem uh, comical, uh, absurd to others. It's true. Uh, sometimes temptations that we experience in our own lives, can be deeply terrifying to us, disturbing to us. And we hardly even acknowledge it to ourselves, let alone to those around us. Temptation for us, the thing that might come to our mind, might be something that we've struggled with for years. Years and years we've struggled with something in particular. And that might be the first thing that leaps to our mind. Or it could be something that we're largely unaware of. Something that has remained hidden. But all the same, Temptations are everywhere, and we all struggle with temptation. 
kind of like the, do- the dogs in the competition. We can feel surrounded by temptation. We can feel pulled by it. We can feel cajoled by it. And like our dear retriever, <laughs> unable to resist at times the temptations around us. Well, let's just take a step back here and ask maybe the obvious question as we come to this part of the Lord's Prayer. Why in the world would we have to ask the Father not to lead us into that? Why would we have to ask him not to? What does that even mean? This is a confusing phrase. In fact, in the little survey, a little online survey I took about the Lord's Prayer, this was identified as the most confusing phrase in the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation. The most confusing phrase. And yet Jesus taught us to ask the Father here at the end of this prayer, not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. And we've been taking this prayer really slow this summer. And so we're only going to look at the first part of that today. And next week we'll come back to the phrase, deliver us from evil or from the evil one. The reality is we can hear this phrase and lead us not to temptation. And we can immediately begin to second guess the things we already know are true from what we've learned in the prayer. We can immediately begin to think that maybe, just maybe this this so-called good father really is able to somehow, in an underhanded way, trick us or entice us into a place where we'll be somehow destroyed. Or, or maybe he doesn't really have our complete good in mind. We can immediately think that, and maybe that's because of our background, maybe that's because that's been our bias, but we can come to a phrase like this and wonder, what is going on here? Could it be that the Father... Is, is willing to lead us, this Father that Jesus is inviting us to pray to, that he's willing to lead us into a place that we won't be able to resist. And we'll, we'll kind of be destroyed. We can wonder that, but nothing could be further from the truth. Let me give you a little Bible reading tip. This is true for anyone who reads the Bible. Um, this is a good reminder for those of us who've read the Bible for many years, and this is really helpful for those of us who are just new to the Bible, maybe you've just cracked it open and you've come across, let's be honest, some really weird stuff. Like the kind of stuff you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure I want to keep reading. Or, wow, I thought this was a holy book. And what I just read, you know, I, I wouldn't read to my kids. I wouldn't read to my grandkids. It's like X-rated material, right? And so you're wondering, how do I understand this, this Bible? So for anyone who's reading the Bible, this is the reading tip. In order to understand the parts of the Bible that are more confusing, that are less clear, that are more vague, and they are there, you need to look at parts of the Scripture that are super clear. Where the the truth about God or about humans or about what's going on is clear, it's clearly stated, it's obvious. And what you do is you use the parts of Scripture that are really clear to help you interpret and understand the parts of Scripture that are less clear. It's a Bible principle that down through the you know, generations, Christians have called it, that the basic principle is that you let Scripture interpret Scripture. In particular, you let the clear passages of Scripture interpret and help us understand the parts that are less clear. So in this case, lead us not into temptation. If the first question that comes to your mind is, well, then, is it true? Does God lead us into temptation? Is that what's going on here? How do we understand that? What we need to do when that question or some of these questions come to us is we need to do a little bit of a a fact check. A little bit of fact checking. Here's what we know from the Bible about the Father. 
about God. And it's all over the place. I chose one scripture to support it, but it's all over the place. I'm not just pulling some obscure verse that would suggest this is true. This is true across the board in the Bible. These are the facts about the Father that Jesus is inviting us to pray to. Here it is. I'll list list just four of them. The first one is, is that our Father is holy. Holy, as we remember when Maddie uh, took the phrase, hallowed be your name. Holy is about being set apart, about being special. And what we recognize all through Scripture, and this is said again and again and again, that our Father who is holy has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with perversion or twistedness or things that are wrong or evil. He doesn't have anything to do with that. And so we know right off the bat that our Father would never have anything to do with enticing us to sin, with trying to trip us up. He wouldn't encourage it. He doesn't cause it. He doesn't condone it. In 1 Peter, a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, he, he, he put it this way, and there's a real connection here between how we live and how the Father is, but the main point I want you to hear today is who God is. Here it is. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. See the connection, how we live, imitating our Father. And then he quotes the Old Testament. Peter says, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. God, our Father, is a holy God. He has nothing to do with sin. The second thing that's really clear all through scripture is that our Father is good that he really and truly wants the best for us. And I know that's difficult for some of us to believe. We've grown up with an image of the Father or image of God that is vindictive, is manipulative. You're not even sure half the time whether this God has got your best interests in mind. And and, and maybe it's because you were taught that. Maybe your father or your mother or your church uh, gave you a view of God that's twisted. But when we see all of Scripture, it's very clear that our Father is good, that he has our best interests in mind, that everything he does is for us so that we can flourish, so that we can grow, so that we can be all that he has created us to be. And in most of the areas that we struggle with temptation, if we were to let that in, if we were to just let ourselves go, our lives would be destroyed, our relationships would be destroyed, our bodies would be destroyed. We wouldn't have a job for much longer. No one would talk to us. You know what I'm saying? Our life would be ruined. And the Father, who is good, who wants good things for us, would never lead us to a place where we would be destroyed. Jesus himself said, in reference to some people who were talking, calling him good, he said, only God, the Father he's referring to, is truly good. And there's other places we could pick. The third thing we know when we do a little fact-checking is that our Father is trustworthy. You don't need to wonder if God will follow through on what he said. You don't need to wonder if he's going to actually watch over you and actually finish what he has started. The Father has promised that he will be with us that he will follow through on what he has promised, that he's not going to take us somewhere where we will be destroyed. That's not what he's like. The Apostle Paul, in a letter to the Corinthian church, he said these words right early in chapter 1. He said, God will do this, and he's referring specifically to God will, will carry you through to the end. God will finish what he started in your life. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And fourth, our Father is loving. This is just so true. Our Father is passionate about us. He's passionate about you. He looks at you and he loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. 
It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen down. Our Father looks at you and he loves you passionately. One of the most famous verses of Scripture, of course, that most people have seen, even if they haven't been in too much touch with church, is, is the big John 3.16, right? For God so what? Love. Not, not for God sort of, sort of thought they were, oh well, I guess. None of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? So that we wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And then I love the next verse. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the heart of our Father. He loves us so much that he would send his own son to take our place, to give us life, to bring us back. This is what is true. These are the facts about the Father. That he's holy, that he's good, that he's trustworthy, that he's loving. So if that's the truth about the Father, that's the clear truth that is unquestionable in Scripture, then then what's going on here? What does being tempted even mean? Well, I think James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, he summed it up best in the first chapter of his very helpful little book, a book that's almost like the Proverbs. It's a wisdom book in, in so many ways. Uh, it's called the book of James. And I'll read just a few verses from the start. In chapter 1, uh, 12 to 18, I'll read it from the New Living Translation, but I'll also have it on the screen. Listen to this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. And remember... This is super important. Listen to this. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, can we say that together? Do not say, God is tempting me. Don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You can't get much clearer than that from Scripture, can you? In terms of the question around this whole leading to temptation business. This is super clear. Whatever else it means to pray to the Father, do not lead us into temptation, it doesn't mean that God is there tempting us to sin. He will never do that. He will never tempt us to do wrong. That's not the kind of Father that He is. Well, if that's the case, then where does temptation come from? Because we all struggle with it. Well, let's just read on. In verse 14, James says, Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's a contrasting image for you. It gives birth to death. Isn't that just so true? You know, we want something, and some of the things we want are are things that we we were meant to experience, things like intimacy, a connection, significance, meaning. But when we begin to seek the fulfillment of those desires in ways that are outside of God's will, outside of God's design, it was never his plan for us. Those ways lead us to death. And our temptations are rooted in those desires that when we act on them apart from God's will, we end up hurting ourselves, we end up hurting others. We end up destroying the very things that would have brought life to us. And God doesn't want that for us. That's not the kind of God he is. Why? Because he's holy and good and trustworthy and loving. And James goes on at this point to, I think, summarize uh, everything that we've said so far about our Father. This is what he says in verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Whatever is good and perfect, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. His prized possession. It just, I think it beautifully summarizes everything that we've said so far about who the Father is, his love for us, his holiness, his goodness, his trustworthiness. And the fact that when he sees you and he sees me, and he sees us as we really are, he sees us as his prized possessions. There's just no hint of anything in here that's underhanded or tricky or suspicious or I'm just not sure if I can trust him. This is our good father and this is what he's like. Okay, so what's going on? The word used for temptation can be translated in kind of two ways. It can be translated as a testing or a trial. And it can be translated as a temptation, more classically as we understand it. You can even see it in this passage we just heard from James. Uh, the New Living Translation, helpfully, I think, translated it as God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. It's the same word. Both testing and temptations refer to challenges that come against us that we have to do something about them. We have to resist them. We have to endure them. We have to push through them. We have to stand up under them. We have to ignore them. We have to get through it in some way. And the fact is, we all know this, we live in a world where sin still wrecks people's lives, right? We still live in a world where sin wrecks people's bodies. We still live in a world where sin wrecks people's marriages. Where sin will destroy friends who've been friends for years. Sin will get in there and begin to lead people in a way that will bring destruction to them, spiritually, relationally. We know that's true. We live in a world that is still at war. Something that we're going to explore more next week as we look in particular uh, at the, the prayer, deliver us from evil. And then, what's more, when we repent of our sin, when we come to a place where we're following our own way, We're doing our own thing. We're leading our own lives. And we realize this is the meaning of repentance, right? We realize that Jesus is calling us to follow him. And so we turn around our lives and we begin to follow Jesus. That's repentance, this turning around, this changing of our hearts and our minds to follow Jesus. And we say, I'm no longer going to lead my own life. I'm now going to let Jesus lead my life. I'm no longer going to be my own boss. I'm going to let Jesus be my boss. I'm no longer going to be the one who decides everything that's right and wrong and what I should do and how I should do it. I'm now going to follow the leadership of Jesus in my life. That's repentance and following Jesus and declaring him as the Lord of our lives, the master, the leader, the king. And saying, Jesus, we believe in you. You're the son of God. You're the only one that we can find hope and salvation in. And so we're going to follow you. When we do that, when we turn around in that way, all the patterns all the habits, all the behaviors and the mindsets that were so natural to us when we were going this way, suddenly, when we turn around to follow Jesus, they begin to pull harder and harder against this new direction that we're going. We're now going the other way. Things that seemed so natural now are pulling at us, are nagging at us. You know, we used to despise others for what they did or how they looked or even how they dressed or how they talked. We make snap judgments about people based on the littlest things. And, and, and that was the way we were. That was just natural to us. 
But those things, now that the Spirit of God is pouring the love of God into our hearts and he's retraining our minds so that we begin to think differently about people, now as we're, we're following Jesus and his leadership in our lives and we're beginning to learn new ways of, of living and seeing these things, that really, when you think about it, becomes the definition of temptation where we are tempted to begin to look at others the way we used to look at others, judge others the way we used to judge others. And Jesus is saying, no, follow me, follow me. Maybe we used to do whatever felt good to us. We just sleep whoever we wanted to sleep with, look at whatever we wanted to look at, do whatever we wanted to do, regardless of who might get hurt. And God, he begins to work in our lives and to lead us to places where we begin to see each other through the eyes of God. We begin to serve each other sacrificially. And we can still be tempted to act selfishly, to do only what we want. And we recognize that Jesus is calling us to live the way he's called us to live. And we feel that pull. Maybe we had a habit of, of seeing others as objects. Say maybe, maybe men seeing women as objects, objects of sex or power. Maybe, maybe the other way around for women toward men. But we're learning now. As the Holy Spirit retrains us, as, as our minds are, are no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but are now being renewed by the mind that God is giving us, we begin to see people as precious, prized possessions of God. Maybe we used to fantasize all the time about revenge, about getting even, about finally doing that thing or pushing back or hurting others the way they hurt, hurt us. But now, as we're following Jesus, we're learning to forgive others the way that we have been forgiven. And all of this can be very hard. All of this can feel like we're at war because following Jesus puts us at odds with the world. It puts us at odds with our old patterns. It, it puts us at odds with the enemy of our souls. It puts us at odds, it can feel at times, even with ourselves. And so trials come and temptations rage, not because God is causing them, but because as we turn to follow Jesus, there's a pressure that mounts. There's, there's, there's a, the heat is turning up. There's a war that's going on as we now swim against the current following our new Lord. And, and these new habits that he's teaching us begin to rub against the grain of our old ones. And so what happens? As we follow Jesus, we discover very quickly that we cannot make it without God's help. We discover very quickly how weak we really are. That we're unable to do this thing that Jesus called us to do. We're unable to stay strong. We're unable to resist that old prejudice. We're unable to forgive those hurts. We're unable to stay sober long enough. We're unable to be faithful the way we, we know we want to be and the way Jesus wants us to be. We're able to, unable to love with our whole heart. We realize that on our own we can't do it. We realize that if the Father doesn't lead us through these trials and temptations, we are doomed. That we are not able to be who the Father has called us to be without the Father's strength to do it. And here's the beauty of Jesus' teaching. Jesus knows this. He knows how weak we are. He knows how weak you are. Jesus knows because he has experienced all the temptations that you and I have ever experienced, but he did it without sinning. 
so that he could then offer the right sacrifice to God. He could make a stand in our place. He could do that for us because he went through it on our behalf. He knows how weak we are. And here at the end of this famous prayer, he teaches us to declare to the Father our total and utter dependence on him. Asking the Father, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, is our way of drawing close to the Father and saying quite simply, Father, we trust you. We do not trust ourselves. Father, we need you. We cannot do this without you. Father, we love you. And if you don't protect us, if you don't walk with us, if you don't go in front of me and and come in behind me and surround me, all will be lost. Here at the end of this prayer, after everything Jesus has taught us about who the Father is and what it means to pray to Him and what it means to have His will be done and receive forgiveness and provision, everything that Jesus has taught us, Jesus now teaches us to throw ourselves on the grace and the goodness of our loving Father so that we can follow Him as He leads us. So how is Jesus teaching us to pray just as we close today? What are actions that we can do as we respond to this teaching of Jesus. The first thing is that we can be honest about temptation and we can let our temptations drive us toward the Father. You know, temptations, as difficult as they can be, they can help us if they drive us toward the Father. We're always going to have temptations. Some of them overt. Some of them subtle. We're always going to have them. And even for some of us, who have, by the grace of God and the strength of God, have overcome some particular things that were destroying our lives. Some of you have been sober for 30 years. Some of you have been off drugs for five. Some of you have experienced the grace of God to get over a a, a pornography addiction or an addiction to to some kind of substance or a workaholism or whatever it is. Some of you have experienced God's grace to get over a particularly negative or cynical view of others. And God has filled your heart with grace and so, so awesome to experience God's forgiveness and freedom in that. But even those who have learned with God's help to overcome and on a daily level are overcoming some of those temptations still need to be aware of how weak we really are and how much we need the Father to lead us. And in particular, to watch out for the more subtle and more deadly temptation of pride. Where we can actually begin to feel like, you know, we're pretty awesome, pretty good stuff, and fall prey to something that will utterly destroy us. You know, I used to think there was a time when all temptations would cease, that I would somehow get to a place of spiritual, I don't know, awakening or or whatever, that I just would just be like those dogs at the start of the, just like, no problem at all. It hasn't come yet. And I know I'm still young, I only turned 42 this week, but I don't think it's coming either. Temptations are still all around us. But you know what? If all temptations were to cease, then I just may be tempted to think I don't need the Father anymore. The reality is temptations keep me tethered to the Father. Temptations can keep us tethered if we let them drive us toward the Father rather than entice us away. These temptations keep us tethered to the Father because we know that if we were to be cut loose, we'd drown. That's the first thing. The second one 
is to let your conversations with the Father be a daily declaration of your dependence. This is how Jesus leads us here at the end of his prayer, to declare our dependence. And we struggle with that because at our core, we want to be independent. We want to stand on our own two feet. We want to be self-sufficient. I want you to note that in this prayer, Jesus undercuts all that nonsense. He says, grow up. You're not going to be independent from the Father. I wasn't. Jesus constantly declared his utter and total dependence on his Father. That's what maturity looks like. And Jesus leads us into that, leads us into this place of the same kind of dependence that he has upon his Father. And so in this prayer, he invites us to talk to the Father, to tell him on a daily basis how much we need the Father to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, to watch over us, to lead us through so that we are not destroyed. We don't pray this because we think we're strong. We pray this because God is strong, right? I know that that is sometimes we're tempted to look at others who really pray a lot and think, wow, they must be so spiritually strong. Are you kidding me? We don't pray because we're strong. We pray because God is strong and we desperately need his strength on our behalf. Prayer is a way that we declare our dependence on the Father's goodness and guidance in our lives. We do this every day. Third thing, and I want you to hear this really strongly today, we also need to relax in the Father's faithfulness. Sometimes we talk about temptation and we have this ongoing struggle, we can get so anxious that that in and of itself will lead us away from the Father. We don't need to be anxious. Yes, we still struggle. We still sin. I wish I could tell you that our days of sinning are behind us. They aren't. You're going to sin against someone before the end of the day. But guess what? The Father's forgiveness extends to that too. We still, we still struggle. We still fall down. We still find it difficult to resist certain temptations as we let God lead and change us from the inside out. But the Father who loves us, the Father who is with us, the Father who is so good, picks us up, forgives us, brushes us off, sets us on our feet and says, just keep following me. We don't need to be discouraged. I know it can be very discouraging, when we're, especially when we're struggling with something in particular. I know how discouraging that can be. But we can be confident that the Father who is faithful will finish what he has started in us. We can be confident, not in ourselves, not in our own strength, not in our own self-will, but in the will of God for us, that he is giving to us his good and perfect gift, gift of the Holy Spirit, gift of community, so that we can follow him and follow his holy and good and trustworthy and loving leadership in our lives. This is how Jesus is teaching us to pray. And I pray this week in particular that you would experience his strong leadership in your life. Will you stand with me? And let's close with the Lord's Prayer together. It'll be on the screen. And we'll just uh, we'll follow, follow this version today. Let's say this together. And in particular, uh, as we say the words, lead us not into temptation, I just want you to picture in your mind what it is that you might have identified immediately as your strongest temptation, the thing you're struggling with, and just declare your dependence on the Father today as we read this together. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come.
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the grace of our Father rest upon you this week. May you experience His strong, holy, good, loving leadership in your life. And in particular, if there's an area in your life that you're really struggling with, I pray that this week you would experience His Spirit's work in you. That you will be able to resist and follow in the strength that He gives you. Go in the grace of the Lord. Please stay for coffee. Have a good week.